Hello, and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty, and this week I'm talking to Paul Ainsworth, School Improvement Director at Infinity Academies Trust. Really enjoyed talking to Paul. He's got a huge amount of experience of school improvement at both a school and a trust level. And we were talking about his book, No Silver Bullets, Day In, Day Out School Improvement. And talking to Paul, you get a sense of really practical ideas that that he writes about in the book and school improvement that is gradual and sustainable and works with what is already there and and going well, rather than putting in a load of, of, of new things. And it was, yeah, it was a real treat to talk to Paul and I hope you find it an interesting and enjoyable listen. As ever, I'd just like to remind you that this podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around topics. The views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. Hello, today I'm joined by Paul Ainsworth, who is School Improvement Director at Infinity Academies Trust. Hi Paul, great to see you. Hi, Caroline. Lovely to talk to you. I've listened to you lots of your podcasts, so it's really great to kind of finally talk to you in so-called in person. Oh, oh that's always nice to hear. Um, and I think I'm planning the world's biggest tour <laughs> of schools to meet to meet all the fantastic guests uh, that we've had on in these um, strange Zoom circumstances. Um, but it would be really great if you could tell uh, listeners a little bit um, about yourself first, and then we'll come on to talk a little bit more about your book, No silver bullets. Okay, thank you. So um, yeah, my name's Paul Ainsworth and I've been working in education for I think over 20, 25 years now. Um, Started off as a very traditional maths teacher with a bit of PE on the side, worked in a whole range of different schools from secondary moderns with, you know, kind of really low data. I think my first school had 12% of children achieve five A stars to C, not five A star to C's, including English and maths, just five A star to C, Um, and then worked in a real range of schools and, and eventually became head of a secondary school. And about six years ago, um, I really changed my career path. So I went to work for one of the big multi-academy trusts as an advisor to head teachers. And that was such a fascinating journey. So I went from a kind of a nice rural, um, small secondary school to suddenly supporting big urban secondary schools, you know, with high deprivation and high EAL and high pupil premium. Um, some schools that have been failing for, you know, literally generations, you know, they always had inadequate inspections and it was so invigorating to go and work with fantastic school leaders. Um, Over that time I I began to work in primary schools as well um, as chairing um, interim executive boards, running a teaching school, uh, becoming a regional director Um, and I just learned so much from all you know all these different environments and again some of the primary schools I worked in they they were schools that were really struggling really tough environments um, you know tough tough estates um, and we just needed to give those children a chance you know they come into the trust and that you know they needed change and some fantastic people working in those schools so I, I did did that for three years it was one of the big system leader maps with 35 schools and I found myself traveling from Scarborough to Northampton and and back again 
Um, and then moved to another small multi-academy trust that was setting up. Um, had a really interesting experience there working with um, a range of schools and testing almost the skills that I'd learned in the big mat, whether they would work in, in a situation where I, I was starting from scratch and I'd, I didn't know anybody. Um, did that for a year. Um, results really went up and kind of formed some really good relationships with some of those head teachers. Um, and then and then I've moved into working with two other multi-academy trusts, um, working with two colleagues that I know really well. So I work for Gavin Booth at Infinity Academies Trust in Boston, Lincolnshire, which is such a lovely place to work with six fab head teachers and eight great schools. And I also work for Blessed Peter Snow Catholic Academies Trust up in West Yorkshire um, with a colleague called Richard Williams. And, and again, kind of a really lovely group of head teachers. And alongside that, um, I've just finished um, my latest book. So No Silver Bullets, Day In, Day, Day Out School Improvement was published in February. Um, and again, I've had some really good feedback from kind of colleagues that I've worked with before who say, it's great. It's like having one of your school improvement visits in a book and we've missed seeing you and kind of hearing your ideas um, and people that I've never met before. Um, quite a number of people who are just making the step into headship have bought the book. Um, I've had about five people who have who've direct messaged me and said, I've just been interviewed. I've just got my headship and I read your book the week before and it was so helpful. Thank you so much. You know, could you give me any further advice? Um, so that that's my journey over the last the last six years, six years of school leadership, system leadership and, and writing another book. Wow. And it, I mean, it feels like working across so so many schools and within those trust structures, you've 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 packed in so much, you know, in, in that in that time experiences um, at so many, many different schools, as you say, primary and secondary um, that, yeah, you, you know, you couldn't. Um, you couldn't really repeat that um, in the, just in in the in the one school, and that that breadth really comes out um, in, in in all of the very um, clear um, uh, practical ways in which you talk about in, improvement in, in in the book. Um, um, it's so so comprehensive. You've um, you've written nine nine books, uh, and you told me that I only read really really need to read this one. And why do you think that? Um, so this is where I am at the moment. So school improvement is really what I've specialised in over the last six years. So I have written a range of books. And I think the first one I wrote was in 2010. It started off around developing a self-evaluating school. Now, as you kind of mentioned before, I have packed in so much over the last six years, but also education has changed so much in the last 10 years. So when I read, you know, read that, you know, developing a self-evaluating school in, you know, from 2010 there's some really good stuff in there that still is a skeleton and a, a scaffold to what I do now but the world has definitely moved on um, and and this book it's a really personal book it's very practical but I, I read um, a Legacy by by James Kerr which is the book about the All Blacks now in that he wrote about the All Blacks creating their playbook so that when anybody came into the team, they read this playbook. And that was, you know, the rules of engagement. That was how you worked. So No Silver Bullets is my playbook. So it's it's my kind of message of if I was coming into your school, these are the type of things I would look for. And, and one of the reasons it came about was, you know, as I kind of said earlier, one of the school leaders I worked with when I left the big mat said, how am I? 
you know, I'm going to miss you. I really love your visits. You know, you come about every two weeks and you, you always have a nugget. You always make me think of something. Where's that going to come from? Could you not just write it all in a book? You know, write it down so that I can flick for it. And that's what No Silver Bullets is. So those people that know me well, those people that we used to be visiting their schools every two or three weeks, they say it's it's lovely to have there and they just flick through it. And, oh, I need to do something on outcomes. OK, I'll have a look on the section on outcomes or I'm a bit stuck on teaching and learning. Let's just flick through. Oh, yeah, I remember Paul saying that to me before. That That's something I can do. So it's a very personal collection of ideas that I think can really help primary, secondary. I've, one of my colleagues who works in a special school has bought it as well. And I know he said he he's having to reframe the ideas, but it's really making him think as well. Yeah, and I think um, it's interesting. I mean, I've been a a veteran of a lot of school improvement partner visits as a as a governor <laughs> um so i you know I, I i haven't had the same skin in the game as i would have done if i were a school leader um but i guess it's it's sort of um you know recreating a little bit of that and instead of having that sort of sense of oh i don't know what they're going to look at or what you know what might they hit me with that i haven't thought of today it's kind of having having that sense of okay this is this is stuff that I can be working through myself um, and kind of satisfying that myself that I that I have um, that I'm getting to where I need to get to and I have got an eye on these these things rather than sort of waiting for somebody necessarily to sort of pop out and, and point it out to you. Yeah, I'm I'm really aware that um, I think colleagues in standalone schools they don't get that same advice in the same way and and school improvement partner visits don't happen in the same way now if I take myself back to when I was you know head of a secondary school in a standalone school so if we go back to kind of 2015 2014 and even before we were always looking for kind of a magic idea we were always looking for what was the thing that was going to really change our school and in fact if I go back even further so I go back to my my NPQ8 racial credential in 2005 I can still vividly remember you know a kind of gentleman you know talking about vertical tutor groups and vertical tutor groups in his mind was what had made his school outstanding and we were all scribbling this down and trying to work out how we could transfer it to our to our own school and and that kind of magic idea and I know when I was ahead, my kind of magic idea was all around curriculum structure and timetables and how you could work that out. And if you got that perfect, that would really, you know, increase, you know, outcomes and, and quality of teaching and learning. And certainly, you know, when I was in the multi-academy trust, there was, you know, there was ideas of, OK, if we introduce this phonics scheme, this is going to revolutionise our school. So I think if, you, if you're in a standalone school, you're still under that pressure of what is the silver bullet? you know what what's going to change my school I need something it's not as good as I want I need to just put one thing in and what I've learned you know greatly over the last six years is I don't think there are any silver bullets I don't think they exist I think you make change and sometimes you need to make change but a lot of the time you don't need to make big structural change but instead what you do is you look at what you've got there and try and work out how can you make it just a little bit better make it a little bit better and then do the next week how can I make it a little bit better still and I think that gives you some incremental improvement so I talk about day in day out improvement and, and I've reached the stage in, in kind of some of my schools where I hear my head teachers quoting that to their staff all I'm looking for is 
day in, day out improvement. I'm just looking for, let's make it 1% better this week. We're not trying to radically change things. And I think that really works with staff workload, especially post-COVID. I think that idea of, I'm not going to rip it up. I'm not going to bring in this whole new curriculum. But what I want to do is, if I move around the school, what's the one thing that will make this school better? What's the one little thing that will improve your teaching? You know, and it might just be a small thing and, and do that. And let's work that round for a little bit and then see, OK, so what's the next step? So that's what I'm trying to provide for head teachers. I'm trying to provide the little ideas that they can um, work on that. So I kind of mentioned that, you know, earlier, the All Blacks, you know, have real interest in how you take leadership ideas from other environments and how do you make it a success? So I'm always interested in, you know, in kind of reading about successful leaders. So whether it's um, Sir Clive Woodward, who was the manager of the World Cup rugby winning team, or whether it's Alistair Campbell, you know, um, you know, Alan Sugar. I love reading about kind of people that have made, you know, kind of real massive successes and how have they gone about it so the kind of Clive Woodward idea of you know he talks in his autobiography about taking finding 100 things and doing them one percent better now I'm always a bit cautious of saying that anecdote to head teachers because please don't go and find a hundred things because that will kill your senior leaders and it will kill your teaching staff. But the idea of the 1% better, that aggregation and marginal gains that David Brailsford talks about in the world of cycling, I think that's really critical to schools. And I think so, too often we're, we're in this big rush of, I need to make a change today. I need to make it so much better. I'm going to make that huge change. And what I've seen in terms of schools that have been struggling for significant periods of time is that often they've had a revolving door of leadership. A leader comes in, they make a big change, the leader goes, a new leader comes in, they make another big change. Leader, And, and teaching staff just don't know where they are. What am I supposed to be doing? And, and I talk a lot, even when I go into the, the most challenging schools that are really struggling, don't rip it up. Please don't rip it up. Somebody has put this in with all good intentions and it will be working really well in some schools. So let's first of all look at how we can make it work with us. Because, I, you know, I can think of a school that I went into a couple of years ago and I opened a cupboard and there was literally five different math schemes. Because each school leadership had come in and bought a new math scheme because that was going to make maths better. You know, and so that so that's kind of you know where I am in terms of you know whether it's senior leaders, whether it's school leaders, whether it's system leaders, whether it's governors, you know, try and try and work out what are the small improvements that will kind of help make your school better rather than constantly that big structural change, that silver bullet. And it is interesting, isn't it? Because um, you know, often when we talk about you know the damaging effects of kind of um, you know, changes in government or changes in government policy or the, the fact that, you know, again, it's often these kind of big, big ideas um, that, that are, are or aren't successful, but all this kind of constant change. And we say, no, get, you know, leave educators alone to, to get on with what they're doing. They don't they don't need these kind of curveballs and big, shiny initiatives in, in and out. Um, but that then sometimes, yeah, you do get 
um, this this sense and feeling that to make an impact, you should be doing something something big and something new. And obviously, if you do introduce something new, you can you know actually kind of um, you know there might be a, a you know a dip in performance or or results because you're in, you know implementing something new. People are training, people are learning. There's change going on before you're actually seeing that. And as you say, where where there isn't stable leadership, you're just kind of going through through that cycle, um, it makes me think of the Ofsted um, stuck schools work where you kind of, you could see, you could see that that was continually happening, um, but actually coalesce, coalescing around this um, incremental in, improvement um, and the, uh, my somewhat flippant response when I saw this sort of day in, day out, um, that, you know, some people might look at that and say, is that not a bit kind of monotonous? Um, you know, how do you how do you stop that kind of feeling, um, feeling like everything is this is the same? How do you kind of get get the excitement going there about that? Yes, yeah, that's a really good question. So the few things that I'd like to pick up on, you know, from there. So I think it's interesting around the kind of, you know, those governmental changes and what you do. Because I think in the past, what we used to try and do, uh, uh, kind of school leaders was try and get ahead of the curve you know, a change was coming and you'd almost try and anticipate what the change would be to give you that step forwards, you know, so that you were, you know, further on the journey. And I think what's been really interesting in COVID times is that when we've tried to get ahead of the curve, often it's created a whole load of work because we've tried to anticipate what was required from us, start doing all the planning then we get a set of documentation that said do something different so then we'd rush ahead and do that and then we get a, another bit of documentation that gave us something else to do and, and in some occasions that was happening six or seven times so one of the things that you know I've been saying to a lot of school leaders is don't rush and and I think people find that really unusual for a conversation for you know kind of a system leader somebody saying don't rush because they're used to people in my position saying run at 200 miles an hour and I've been saying the opposite I've been saying just pause let's wait until we've got all the information together um, before we kind of you know rush and do something because we might have to rip it up and you, you don't have lots of time you haven't got the time to be creating something four or five times so almost let's wait for that definitive answer and then let's go I think We've got to have faith in that good teaching is good teaching and good schools are good schools. The parameters might change, but those don't. So keep that as your core focus. Good teaching and learning, good behaviour, good attendance, and everything else will then kind of fall into place. In terms of the kind of, you know, monotonous. So if I just come back to day in, day out, you know in school improvement those people that know me know that as well as being an educationist one of my passions is life is a is a post-punk band called joy division that were um kind of late 70s manchester they're classed as one of the most influential bands of the time um, and when you listen to if you ever hear an interview with bono bono will from you too he will say joy division was one of his uh, big um, inspirations moby you know you know you think of moby and his electronic tunes he classes joy division so this this band no so day in day out is a phrase from one of their songs so i, I picked that song called digital um 
and and that's kind of that idea in there where Ian Curtis, who the the singer who you know really tragically committed suicide, he's he there's a really plaintive cry in day in day out day in day out, and it, every time I hear that, that really goes through to me. In terms of school leadership and school improvement, it's not monotonous because it's the interactions with the children and the staff that are always different. And I think that's the bit that I sometimes miss as a system leader. I don't see all those wonderful moments. I sometimes walk through, I might walk through the assembly hall in, in Boston St. Nick's where my office is based and I'll see Fiona Booth, who's a fantastic head teacher delivering an assembly. And I just stand for a couple of minutes. So this is post COVID times off, obviously or pre COVID times. Um, I'll just stand and I'll watch those children. Now that's not monotonous. Seeing those smiles on those faces and that interaction between those children and her is never monotonous. Now we're having to do lots of behind the scenes work to get to that point. And she is working so hard and her leadership team is working so hard on creating that brilliant educational environment that allows that assembly to be so wonderful. And I think that's what we have to keep coming back to as a core purpose, that yes, there are cycles and education is cyclical and one year can be like another year or was until 2020. But keep going back to, but what are the children saying? Because that's never monotonous, is it? And maybe if it, maybe if it is starting to be monotonous, maybe that is the time when you kind of need to find a different school to go and work in. You know, you just, you take your skills somewhere else because we all go stale at times i'm really fortunate i travel around over 20 schools at the moment so life's never monotonous or stale for me at all no i'm being cheeky there with that with the use of that of that word but i think it is it is interesting to sort of unpack and actually say yeah you know there's there's an element of of working in schools of routine obviously timetables regularity a cycle to the year um and you know that's something that's really attractive for a lot of people who, who who work in the profession and as you say for other people it might be something that that, that starts to to wear them down after a time but the uh, you know the the point is that for those children it's it's the first time they're going to learn about that thing or the only time that they're going to be in year two um and, and as you say, the, um, the interactions with the children are never dull um, and never the same. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of freeing up to appreciate what's different and actually what, what needs to be consistent. And, you know, your book is so brilliant at, at, de at detailing um, ex exactly how to, to manage those, those um, consistent elements. And I, what I'm also struck by talking to you is about this, um, this idea of the kind of 1% better um, and I think for me, I'm interested to know um, how does a school get the systems in place so that they can recognise that, like kind of clearly and relatively ob objectively in a way in which kind of all staff can get behind? Because um, I think that's, you know, that's quite important, I would think, um, to that sense of, you know, we, we are making a difference here, being able to kind of see those small gains so kind of we, we talk a lot about school improvement being a cycle and and i think while we've in some situations we've made the cycle annual and you know so you kind of 
you write your, your self-evaluation form and then you write your school development plan or your, your school improvement plan and then you work that through for the year and then you assess it at the end. And I think that's kind of, you know, one way of seeing school improvement. I tend to break it down into a shorter cycle so that we can see things a little bit quicker and we can hopefully see the improvement. So to, to me, a school improvement cycle is, is, is four, you know, four parts. It's setting some kind of target. Now, at the start of the year, it, you know, it could be your data targets. It could be using your Fisher Family Trust, you know, 20 data of FFT5 or if you're in a real mess, FFT50. OK, that's where we're going to try and get to by the end of the year. That's primary or secondary. It could be looking at where are the attendance figures? You know, we we're on 95% last year. I want to try and get to 95 and a half, or I want to get to 96, or I want to get above national. Or, you know, I've worked in schools where, uh, you know, behavior's gone out of control and exclusions have been used like smarties. Okay, so how do we bring the exclusions down? So there's always some kind of target. And then it's that plan, you know, what, what's the plan that we're going to do? That plan could be a one week plan. It could be a two-week plan. It could be we're just going to do this one thing for a week. Um, and then that plan, those are those actions. So do those actions for a week, and then we're going to assess it. So that's the interesting thing about how can you assess to then give feedback to your staff. So, you know, certainly, you know, when I'm in, in all schools, I'm very clear on try and get a really consistent data strategy that you all use have some assessments that you're confident with not assessments every week or assessments every month you know I tend to work on a baseline assessment and assess you know two other assessments and then a, your formal assessment will come at the end of the year that's the maximum I would go with but have those assessments and what's really important is there's no blame culture because what you want is teachers to give you honest information, not so that you can blame them. So thinking of Malcolm Gladwell's black box thinking, if it's going wrong, why is it going wrong and how can we help you put it right? I think that's really important. I've been in too many schools where um, teachers feel under threat. They they're worried about that assessment data. They teach the children to the internal test. And it doesn't really show us where the children are. And, and that's really unhelpful. So using that assessment data to, to look at where you are. Now, something that a lot of primary schools are really fantastic about doing are those pupil progress meetings. So that conversation between the classroom teacher and somebody about individual pupils and what is the barrier to that children achieving the next step in their reading and what can we do about it and what resources are available in the school to do that so those pupil progress meetings so does that kind of assessment data side of things now that might happen every eight or ten weeks i'm a big believer in in those regular informal learning walks i walk around schools all the time i never have a clipboard um i I'd very rarely have a book with me i just walk around and i'll just tag things in my head and think that was really good you know, I think that's a little element that we can improve on. And in my head, I'm thinking about those little elements we can improve on and seeing whether that's a pattern across the school. And if it's a pattern across the school, then it is, OK, head teacher, if we did this, what would it then look like? What would the good one look like? And then if they implement that with their staff, then because they've worked out what the good one looks like, they can give that feedback to those staff of, do you know what? When I walked around two weeks ago, it looked like this. 
And now it looks like this. You know, that's great. And it's that kind of enthusiasm and that positivity. If it's an isolated thing in, in one classroom, again, okay, so it looks like this now. If we get it right, what's it going to look like? And or what's it going to sound like? And then we can give that that feedback back to those teachers. This only works in a no-blame culture, it only works when people trust each other. Um, and that's what I work on really hard initially when I work with any head teacher is that I want to model that trust. I want to build that trust with that head teacher because I want them to work with me in the way that I want them to work with their staff. So I had a um, kind of wonderful experience in one of my schools about three or four weeks ago. And we've been working on a project across all, you know, kind of seven classrooms. And it's been, you know, with COVID, stop, start, stop, start. We feel like we've been working on it forever and we've never seen the progress. And about, I think it was the, the last week of term, we walked around on the Monday and I walked around with a head teacher. And we just walked around in silence because we could finally see it. We saw it across all seven classrooms. And by the end of the walk, we were just beaming because we knew what we wanted it to look like. We'd seen it in pockets, but finally we'd seen it across all seven classrooms. And it was, okay, right, tell your staff, that's fab. We took photographs while we were walking around. Look, this is great. This is what we're after. If we can keep doing this, so if I go back to day in, day out, if we can keep doing this day in, day out, it doesn't have to be revolutionary. We don't have to kind of kill ourselves in doing this, but if we can just keep to this standard, our children are going to learn so much. They're going to develop so much quicker. Trust us, this will happen. And, and as you say, it's about, it's about picking those things um, that that it is not like, oh, you know, every six weeks we do uh, a, some kind of book scrutiny or look at your working world and everybody kind of builds up a panic to those points. As you say, it's getting it to the point where it just becomes part of everyday practice. Yeah. I think if you if you can create a vision of what you want teaching and learning to look like in your school um, and you can have almost physical evidence of what it's going to look like in your school then when your middle leaders you know if they go for a walk around they don't have to go for a walk around in lesson time they can actually walk around at break time or lunch time or when they've got their non-contact or their leadership time and they can see the evidence of what it's going to look like so I talk a lot to head teachers about okay you've got a vision for teaching and learning how will that physically look in your school because you, when you're going on your learning walks, because you've you've got more, you've got more non-contact time when teachers are teaching. So if you're in a primary school, um, you can walk around in a morning when all your seven, 14, 21, 28 teachers are teaching, and you can see it. Your maths lead or your English lead might not be able to do that. The same as if you're in a secondary school, you know you can go for a walk around your your English faculty and see you know, maybe eight English lessons all going on at once. But your head of English is less likely to be able to do that because they'll be teaching. So again, what's your vision for teaching and learning? What should those eight classrooms look like? Because then that head of English could go for a walk around, you know, 10 minute walk around those eight classrooms. Is this how I want it to be? Whatever the, whatever the vision is. So I've been in, I can remember one school that, um, kind of really surprised me it was a brand new building 
and they actually didn't have any displays. There were no displays. It was all kind of white walls. But what they did have were these amazing, they had a, a fantastic printing device that created these huge wallpaper style displays. So no displays of people's work, but they were put up this big poster, you know, not, this wasn't a naught size. This was, you know, say five meters by two meters. And they would put that up for the topics that were being considered. And those were the only displays in the classroom. So no pupils work, but it was really clear of, so their vision for teaching and learning was high quality artifacts that inspired children, um, different, you know, with different year groups being considered. And that was the way they worked. And okay, that's fine. But you could really see that clearly as you walked around the classroom and say, okay, so in history, this is what we're doing in year seven, because I can see this. So I could then look at a year seven book. Okay, can I see this in the book? Or I could then talk to a child and say, oh, so just tell me about what you're doing in year seven history. And you've seen it when you're walking around. And that vision for teaching and learning was was really clear on what they wanted it to be. And however you want your vision to be, I think you just need to try and find a way of teachers being able to show it in their classrooms. And I think that's one thing that, in, to my mind, primary schools are really good at doing when they get it right. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because obviously, um, you know, we're talking, we're talking a lot about school improvement. And I, I think it can be quite, quite hard to know necessarily what we mean by that term because you know in lots of cases as we, we've talked about attendance behavior curriculum teaching and learning you know it is it is all of all of these things um and um I, I think sometimes um in the same way that you know cpd um you know we talk about that with regard to education and and that that can be a very kind of broad broad, broad bucket when when people really need to sort of bring focus and attention and energy and get their team behind school improvement what what do we really mean by that so when, when I use the phrase school improvement, I think I'm talking about whole school activity. I think I'm talking about something that's being delivered across every classroom in the school. I think when I'm looking at individual support, that's something different. I don't see, I see that as a, that's almost your bespoke element of CPD. That isn't necessarily school improvement. So I see school improvement as a big overarching canopy in some ways. So it could be we're trying to develop teaching and learning across our school. So these are our overarching thoughts of what we want teaching and learning to look like in, in our school. Now, in terms of your school improvement, you might then be saying but different teachers need different support, you know, and then it starts becoming more bespoke CPD. But to me, school improvement are those those more overarching, overarching things. So whether it's whether it's teaching and learning, whether it's you're in a school with really low outcomes and you're trying to give it a we know teaching and learning gives the long term gain. But sometimes we need to give things a quick boost because children children need those grades. You know, we can't say oh, it's be fine in two years time. So, you know, what can we do to support our year 11s or our year sixes? You know, the, the same as kind of attendance. What are those big overarching strategies we're going to use to boost our attendance? You know, what are our structures? What are our systems? And the same for behavior. So I, I suppose I see school improvement as the systems and structures that you'll put across your 
your whole school. Now, I don't talk about it in the book, but in the same way, you're going to put systems and structures around how you manage finance or how do you manage the upkeep of the buildings um, or how do you manage your HR function and your appraisal processes and, and all those kind. Of, I don't talk about those in the book because my book is more around focused on on kind of things that have a more immediate impact on pupils, I'd suggest. But yeah, school improvement is that it's the big overarching, big, you know, overarching monolith you know monster or however you kind of kind of see it i think i think that's a helpful distinction that you draw you sort of drew there when you said it's kind of you know the things going on in the classrooms that are involving you know the vast majority of staff whereas you say some of those kind of hr finance other things um you know that doesn't involve everybody in the same same way and you know um Obviously, you you get that you you're very passionate about what you do, and it's really inspiring listening to you talking about it. Um, but why exactly did you kind of specialise in this this area of work and choose to kind of work in lots of schools rather than just stay in one? And so it did happen by accident, to be honest. So if I if I go back six years, I went for an interview for a head teacher. I wanted to move into the county where my children went to school you know that's what I wanted I was in a county where my children didn't so I wanted to go into into the same county with my, my children and I went for an interview with one of the big multi-academy trusts for their headship because I could see they were taking over quite a lot of the schools in the county I thought oh, maybe that's the game to go and play and I'd never thought about it before um, and they appointed an internal candidate and at the end of the interview they said well we've appointed them but can you come and help our other head teachers because you've been a head teacher I was like what really and so it was it was a bit by accident and and my first day as a, as you know as a system leader I was actually you know I'd driven two hours to go and work in a school in a town that I didn't know at all I didn't know the context they just appointed a new head teacher the school the data had fallen off a cliff it was going to go inadequate it was just waiting for, you know that's a horrible situation you're just waiting for an inspection and whatever you do is not going to make any difference so there's this new head teacher, terrible data, the behaviour in the school was really tricky. Um, and they appointed me, you know, to spend some time helping with that head teacher. And, and the first thing I had to do was try and build some trust because that head teacher thought I was after his job. And it was like, no, I really, to me, success is you get it right. And failure is it doesn't work. And then we're both equally responsible. This, you know, this is that we are in. We are in this together, um, and all I'm going to do is try and do everything I can to help you. I'll ask you questions. I'll I'll do some of the. I'll even go. You know, do some of the hard yards. I'll walk corridors for you as well if you want me to do that to help with discipline. And I, and I did. Um, but my job is to try and say, well, I've I've had some of these experiences, and let's. What I want to do is try and help you not make some of the mistakes I might have made along the way. Um, and that was just in a, that was a brilliant school. It was uh, Malcolm Arnold Academy in Northampton. And and they improved that school. That school went from inadequate to good over a three year period. The head teacher, Chris Steed, was fantastic, fantastic guy. And, and they really improved that school. And it was fantastic to see. And, and then dipping in and out of other schools, 
it was like okay so what can what are the common ideas that i can move across these schools what's going to make the difference because in the same way as when you become a head of subject you teach less but you can have more impact over more classrooms you then become a senior leader you teach even less and you can have an impact over more classrooms head teacher was a system leader i can i'm in the amazing position that i can have impact over you know a considerable number of schools i don't get a daily contact with children which i you know we do miss but actually i can do something that can help schools now i then had a, a really a, another significant moment in in the kind of september time when i started working with primary schools and and data had changed so we'd moved away from um levels to are and gds um, so everybody was new, everything was new. And, and I went to um, a head teachers meeting and it was the first time I'd been to the primary head teachers meeting. I was the only secondary person there, but I was going to be working with primary. And I've, I found the sheet of paper, actually. I joked a few weeks ago that I've still got the sheet of paper. And then I found it a week ago and I just made this sheet of notes of everything I heard during this head teacher meeting. And that and that was such a significant moment because i was thinking actually i think the stuff that i can do across primary and secondary and i can move things backwards and forwards and what do i want why did i go into education i went into education because i wanted children to have a, a good deal maybe a better deal than i'd had and originally that was around in my own maths classroom was helping children get and understand the maths as a system leader i am so fortunate and blessed because i can have an impact on multiple schools and, and goodness knows how many classrooms and that's what it's about for me and and then the other side of it is being a head teacher is one of the hardest jobs in the world it's one of the best but it's one of the hardest and i think we've seen that so much over the last you know 13 14 months of the pressure head teachers are under and i'm i'm really committed in doing everything i can to help head teachers and make their lives better the biggest criticism any head teacher could throw at me would be I'm making things harder for them because that is what I don't want to do. I might challenge and I might, you know, say we need to do things in a different way, but that's to, it's all about how I can make their lives better and their school better and provide better outcomes for the children, whatever those outcomes might be. You know whether it's kind of pastoral outcomes you know kind of you know safeguarding um, when i say outcomes i don't mean gcse results a level results key stage two results i mean anything that a children receives from that school and when they walk home things have improved as a result and it's really interesting there when, when you were talking about um the kind of um parity you, you you have with with that school leader in terms of you know your you know there's not it's not about um blame and you're you're there to support them and you know particularly that 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 situation you described about the inadequate school just thinking about how lonely um that individual must have felt um at that time and and having somebody to just come along come alongside you um, and, and support and help you structure that journey. And, and also really conscious that, you know, um, there are different types of leaders and some people who have much more experience and much more appetite for that 
for that improvement and you know for other people who it will be more of a, a steady steady state kind of gradual um school improvement to their to their headship um and you know being able to sh to share that knowledge of somebody who's been there and done it before helping somebody on their kind of um maybe the biggest improvement journey that they've been on it must add enormous value to have have that um relationship with that person i'm imagining I, I do, you know, I get some lovely comments from some of the head teachers I, I work with, you know, and, and certainly there was a time, um, the one head teacher commented once about a colleague that was going through a tough time. And I kind of, I went and visited, and I knew that colleague was struggling. So I kind of went out of my way to kind of, okay, I'm going to come and see you for half a day. Let's just, let's just talk. And, and the head, the head teacher joked, the, the other head teacher joked to me a few days later, said, she's now two feet taller can you come and see me because I want a bit of that and all I did you know as I just sat and talked you know and, and why are the problems where look trust me this we know Chatham House rules as long as there's not a safeguarding issue just talk to me and there's any, we can put anything right it doesn't have to go any further just talk to me honestly and, and that's what I try and build up. I try and build up that relationship that I'm somebody that they can put down the head teacher mask, you know, and just put it down. I'm, I'm not interested in criticism. I'm not interested in a way. All I want to do is help make your school a little bit better. And I want to give you some space. So I talk a lot around giving people a safe space to talk. I think that I've been talking to this, you know, a little bit recently is around supervision. And I think that that's, that head teachers need some aspect of supervision. They carry so much. And I, I this this might be a little bit controversial, but I'm not necessarily sure the governance role provides that supervision. I know that was always the idea. Chair of governors was the critical friend to the head teacher. But I think with education becoming so complex, so fast moving, so much legislation, I think that's really hard for a lay person to do, especially if they've got a full time job. I think that's incredibly tough. So what I try and do, so I, I'm not I'm not qualified, I'm not trained in in supervision, but I try and do that idea of but you can you can open up, you can tell me about what is tell me what's which member of staff's worrying you the most okay what can we try and put in place that child I know you're really worried about them going home on Friday afternoon have we done everything we can and if we've done everything we can that is all we can do you know we we do that that is where we sit and hopefully that if if head teachers can share that what I don't, don't want is the head teacher waking up as I did at 2.22 every morning, not being able to get to sleep, worrying about what was going to happen the next day, because that is exhausting. So that's what I try and provide. Please just talk to me. Let's work. And that to me is one of the strengths of the best multi-academy trusts, that there is somebody there to do that. And, you know, and I, I know that that when I first joined a mat, head teachers are wary of, of somebody like me coming in because they're worried. But what I find, but it's it's you know, it's when head teachers want my time, that's when I know I'm succeeding. When you're coming back, Paul, can can you just pop in and do this? Oh, could you just help me with myself? You know, I could you come to our senior leaders meeting and talk to 
and that's when I know I've got it right and that doesn't happen in a day that takes time to get to that situation but I get there and it's it's that establishing that dynamic away from the defensive as well because I think you know particularly if you've got a school in difficulty you just become hardwired to kind of um you know stick up for yourself and 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 def- defend what's kind of going going on but 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 that ultimately doesn't lead to much in the way of of of, of energy um for for improvement sometimes and just being able to be completely honest with someone i could see i could see that being being really useful but you know as you say the kind of the mask of the head teacher um and that's not you know not talking about it in a dishonest way but you know the strength that you need to have to carry on and, and lead a team, um, you know, it can, it can be difficult to, um, to to find, as you say, supervision, the space, the time. And I think I completely agree with what you're saying there about about governors um, for, for people who, who don't have a background in, in, in schools. It can be difficult to say the right thing. Um, and, and also, you know, there is a formality to that relationship, you know, and you know, critical friend is always a really hard, hard balance to strike. And the governor is always conscious of of their role in holding that person to account. Um, so yeah, I think I think you know it's it's definitely something that that I hear a lot in conversations with people that supervision is is something that they find really valuable, but not enough um, head teachers do have access to that to that kind of um, support or relationship. So I can I can see why you're such a popular man in demand. Um, uh, in our in our you know preparatory emails seeing how much you're traveling around the country shows, shows this is true uh, everybody wants a visit from you which which is nice um and i think you've, you've talked really well there about that your different um uh, roles as a teacher through school leadership and into system leadership and and the um that the benefit that a trust can provide is there anything else that you'd like to say about the role of trusts um I, th- I think you know when when it's right, you know when it's right, it can be the most powerful tool for school improvement. You know because you've got a group of schools, not necessarily huge, but you've got a group of schools where you've got capacity across them to help each other. You know you you can test things. You've maybe got more resources. You've got more skills. You know so you've always got somebody who's good at something. Because you've got that group of schools, you can employ people to do the work that I do, you know, because as a standalone school, you would never have that. You can also, you know, provide that the work away from the classroom. So, you know, here's the help with your finance. You don't have to worry about this on your own head teacher. Um, infinity we're developing our operations side you know a lot we've got a really good operations director and a lady called michelle dales it's doing fantastic things and trying to take some of that fear away from the head teachers I, we will check that your legionnaires testing is being done we'll make sure that your health and safety checks those things are being moved forwards we'll liaise with people for you we'll make sure your policies are staying up to date we'll make sure they're consistent because those are all the things that grind head teachers down because the great head teacher if i go back to my example earlier the great head teacher is the head teacher standing in a school assembly or at the moment i know it's over zoom you know with their face being beamed into a number of classrooms but that's the great head teacher kind of talking to the school 
en masse and inspiring them and you know giving you know and talking to teachers in that, at the same time because you're doing both and actually if you're constantly worrying about your disabled access or you know oh I've got a contractor on site are they going to start drilling into asbestos no and that's what trusts can do they can provide that that really you know that really big you know big big style of support that helps what you always have to remember though in any trust is we are only as strong as our weakest school so actually if we've got seven schools doing fantastically well and one is struggling we need the other seven schools to help that one school not say oh but it's fine over here no you can't have any of my support because we're a family you know we're a family and if one of us is finding it hard we help that member and I think that that and it's whatever size you are you've got to try and keep that feeling now that doesn't happen automatically because every head teacher is really conscious of my name's on the Ofsted report or my name's on the set of data and well, no I can't lend you that person because I need them but we're a family and actually to me there's you know I'm not interested in seven schools doing amazingly well and seeing a group of children struggling down the road no it's about what we're doing all so it is trying to create that identity and that that does take time and it requires really careful conversations you know to kind of edge people forwards and we and we don't go to that position overnight where we are at this this family it takes us time to get there and I think you know some maps they've found that a difficult journey to go along you know as to how do you how do you create that group feeling how do you create that we are one family we are one body we might be on you know x number of sites um so yeah working in multi-academy trust for me has been it's been a, a, a one of the most magical moments in my career but that's not to say it hasn't been tough at times you know and and i think what i've found recently is I've, I've all, I feel as I've found my home, I've found the map that I want to work with. I've found a group of people who I feel that I can make a difference with. And, and that's kind of really important to me. That's great to hear. And um, yeah, I think it's interesting to sort of um, go through my mind there when you were talking about, um, you know, that, that family mentality and, and how, you, how you create that and recognizing that it is probably a trade-off around those other things that the trust is providing that can create the headspace um, for people to, you know, um, to then think about that school improvement more as a, as a group um, rather than, you know, focusing entirely just on their own um, school. But it's, um, it's really interesting to hear your, your experiences and your, your take on that and your, and your enthusiasm for the, the trust as a model for school improvement. Um, I, you know, I, it's really great to hear the feedback that you've had from, from people reading your book. And um, I would definitely recommend it to, to any and all school leaders, but I can particularly understand how it'd be useful for somebody coming, in, coming into headship this September. So if that's you, please go out and buy it. Um, there's a lot of strategies in your book. Um, so if, if I was coming to, into a new school, um, how would you kind of suggest that I commit to a sustainable amount of of change and, and don't overwhelm myself and, and my staff? So I think the first thing is, unless it is really completely broken, try not to make a big change. 
if your staff say to you, so I was at one of my schools um, quite recently, a new executive head has come in and they were having a conversation around maths and the, the teaching staff said, we don't really like what we've got at the moment. You know, it's not really working for us. So that's an instant. So that head teacher's then making that change. Now he's not gone in in September and said, right, we're going from X to Y. He's, he's talked to the staff about it. Now he's realized that the scheme that they've got in, that yes, teachers can make it work because teachers are amazing at making bad ideas work in my experience. Um, but actually he's realized that the amount of energy teachers are putting into that to make it work is not sustainable. So let's make the change. But a lot of times people have got products or curriculums or schemes that are, they're good. It's just around the implementation factor, you know, so rather than make those big changes, think about how things can be implemented more effectively. And a lot of that comes around to your conversations with your leaders or your classroom teachers. One piece of advice I was given a long time ago about, you know, uh, experienced head teachers said, I said, what's the best advice you could give to me as a new head teacher? That head teacher said, talk to every colleague in the school and ask them what is the one thing we must never change this school must never lose and then ask them what's the one thing you would like me to change and on that one thing you would like me to change if three quarters of your staff are saying we'd like you to change this then you've got a license to change it and actually maybe that's your starting point on on what you change but a lot of the rest of it is, it is it's the 1%. It's a lot of schools say, this is our culture. This is what we're trying to do. But then I walk around the school and I don't see it. So actually, don't change what the words are. Just make people live up to it. Just, but a lot of that is because teachers don't, they can't, or teachers and staff, they've lost sight of what it should look like. And often that is because too many changes have come in over time and people are just a bit confused. So, yeah, that, that is my, my really advice is to talk to people about, you know, what needs changing. Don't rush into making any changes. Look at how you can, you know, make the little changes along the way. And if you get to Christmas and you go right or, or October half term, this really isn't working. Okay, then make the change. Obviously, there's some times when you can see it's completely broken. And then you do need to. But but I, I, can't, I went into a secondary school a few years ago as an executive head. And the behaviour, this is a, a behaviour situation where exclusions had gone out of control. They, they'd got completely gone out of control. And, and the school had done something like 75 short-term exclusions in half a term. Which was, which was massive. Now, I could have gone in there and said, actually, right, we need to rip up the complete uh, behavior management system, reward system, and, and start all over again, because it's obviously not working. I chose not to do that. I just went back to some real basics of, okay, I'm gonna be stood on the school gate every morning. I'm gonna welcome every child into school. I'm gonna spend my days walking around classrooms so children know there's somebody watching over them and teachers know there's somebody supporting them. Um, and the really high needs children, the children that are really struggling, actually, what can we do to help them? 
you know what expert advice do they need and actually I, I you know one of the most high needs people spent quite a lot of time with me um kind of almost you know just doing a bit of one-to-one -one and kind of trying to bring them around to school environment and make them more comfortable that really decreased the exclusions in that school but we didn't rip everything up and start again we just kind of put in the effort now it might might have been over time that yes that school did need a new behavior system but actually you don't have to do it straight away do the real basics first of all yeah i think it's really interesting and and obviously um you know i think baby systems is a good example because you know um obviously people have different levels of sanctions and speaking in a week where lots of people have been very exercised about school behavior so maybe this isn't a too good an area to talk about but um you know it's an es it's a process people escalate through it and obviously exclusions is at the end of that um and as you say if you if you say okay it's got these stages we call them red green or whatever and it's one two three over here and you know it, it's all quite similar it's about but is there a pipeline of children who are going through right to the end or not? And, and how do we stem the, stem the flow of that? And as you say, in the same way, you can have schemes of work or systems or curriculum that you've, that you've brought in and you probably go through a lot of time trying to choose the, the right one. But as you say, ultimately, it's the implementation of the one that you choose um, that, will, that will make the difference. So I think that's, that's a really interesting thing to think about that, you know, not just um, throwing things out because they appear to be not working, thinking about actually, is it the system or is it how how people are progressing through it? Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Wow, and I'm sure, I feel like anyone who's a new head teacher who listens to this podcast is then gonna be trying to find you um, for, for a visit. Um, but um, it's been so interesting to talk to you um, and, um, and, and hear more about your, your experience supporting schools and, and your book. Is there anything that you'd like to um, share with our listeners in closing? I think to me, we, we mustn't forget that working in schools is one of the most fantastic things that we can do. There's a lot landing on had teachers school leaders teachers at the moment and i know this has probably been one of the most challenging years ever but schools are magical places children make them magical and and all our colleagues make them magical places i'm so lucky i get to visit lots of schools but every time i walk into a school that that energy that positivity the kind of smiles on the children's faces that you you as teachers and senior leaders and, and head teachers create is just an amazing thing so however hard it's been this year just keep going you are doing an amazing thing and and if you're struggling go and find a child that's smiling go and just have a conversation with the child because that makes you remember what you're doing it for. And don't don't forget that. Oh, well, 
that is a beautiful note to end on. And thank you so much, Paul, for talking to us today. And thank you very much for listening. Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. Members of The Key for School Leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com. And please tell us what you think of the podcast. Rate, review and subscribe. Or email me at caroline.doherty at thekeysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions.